There, oh, there we go. All right. Well, good morning. Um, so thankful to be here this morning. Uh, and I do, just as a, a brief uh, story of grace, I, I, I wanted to thank you all so much. I don't know everyone here, but I, many here. Um, but we just got very sick, violently ill, you could say, uh, around Thanksgiving. Probably the sickest I've ever been. And just was just seemed to always be turned for the worst. But uh, we had so many from here who were praying for us, who, who dropped meals off, who did all this. Jamie was sick. Jonah was sick. I mean, it was just really tough season. Uh, but do, we're so encouraged by that. And just realizing uh, in the moment of crisis, when you can't do anything, just uh, what a gift it is to have a, a people who care, a people who love God, a people who are praying for you, a people who are figuring out how can we help and just dropping food off. And we didn't even know sometimes that people were coming by and they're uh, dropping food at our door. So I want to thank you all so much. It meant so much to us. Uh, and I am truly thankful uh, to be here uh, as I was three or four weeks ago. Just would not have thought I'd be where I'm at today. So it's a gift for sure. Um, well, our scripture this morning is, we're continuing on in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Paul had helped uh, plant the church in Corinth. Uh, but let's read uh, from, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 17 uh, through 31. So let's hear God's word this morning. Uh, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called on the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when, is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my ju judgment as the one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have, who, have who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so a number of years ago, I... Uh, spent a summer in North Africa, and I had never been uh, to a majority Islamic country or, or th something like, like that or the culture and everything else, but I was 
uh, in seminary, and I ended up spent through some connections, ended up flying by myself uh, and going to Morocco and then Tunisia, spending a number of, of weeks uh, in each place and, and just observing uh, what God was doing there with different church planning efforts and, and those kind of things. But uh, one of the stories I remember uh, most vividly was early on getting to Fez, Morocco, and a Moroccan family inviting us in uh, to, to dinner there. And I had never, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on right now. Uh, so we go, me and a, this friend I was with, we, we went to dinner uh, there, and we, we go in, and it, the first room is just lined with couches. I mean, everywhere there's just couches there. And so we're sitting there. Uh, we're, this is before dinner. I have no clue what's going on. Uh, I don't speak Arabic, uh, very little Arabic. Um, and so just sitting there, and we sit there for maybe an hour, hour and a half, just sitting there. Uh, literally, that's all we were doing. And I was just, I mean, it's just so different from the culture I've grown up in. You know, we go, we eat, we have an agenda, and then we leave. Uh, but here, you know, I was sitting there, and it just, everyone seemed to be enjoying each other, and even the silence that just seemed awkward. But just ha- for them, having guests in their home, having people there, it was just, they enjoyed that part. I haven't, I hadn't experienced as much of that ever before. Uh, so then we go on to the meal, um, and, you know, same thing. We're, I, I can't remember if we were on the floor or if it was just like a low table or what it was, but they go and they, they place all the food all in the center, and everyone just starts going, just with your right hand. You don't, don't want to eat with your left hand. I, there's no utensils or anything else. And so you just start picking at whatever's in there in the middle of the table. And again, I've never experienced that, where it's just kind of this sh- truly a shared meal. It's not like the Italian shared meal places. It is a shared meal of you're just <laughs> grabbing from whatever's there and putting it in your mouth. And, you know, it's just complete. That's, that's the way things are. Uh, but I'm just trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live in this moment? You know, I don't want to disrespect in the culture or, or what I'm, you know, say something wrong or do something wrong. And so after the meal, someone comes and helps us, you know, wash our hands off. And then we go to another room this other room is filled with couches. And so we go back and, you know, after eating, we go and we're sitting in this other room for probably another hour and a half or so. Uh, and I'm just kind of like, you know, it's getting late. Uh, when does this end? In some ways, I can't really communicate or anything, but we don't want to be rude. Uh, we want to respect, you know, they're so kind to invite us in. Uh, and, you know, eventually they bring out some tea. And then I, my, the friend I was with, um, at some point in signal, he said, okay, well, I think, I think it's okay for us to go now or whatever like that. So anyways, um, it, you know, it's just so strange trying to figure out how to live life in a different place uh, and that we all uh, come from certain backgrounds, uh, certain families, certain cultures, some of these things, and, and, and many of you here grew up maybe in a different place than here, and a similar thing of just trying to figure out how does it work here in this culture of, of how are we meant to live based on uh, we bring in all these differences of, of how we grew up and, and the culture that we found ourselves in, and you're just trying to figure it out, and you're trying to sort out what this all means. Um, and here in this text, you, you've got a people, it's church in Corinth, and, you, and Corinth was a very diverse place. It was a, a big trading center. It was a metropolitan city. It was a, a destination. Maybe there were cruises uh, that were going out from Corinth, a place you'd want to go to. Uh, but Paul had planted a church there, 
And um, as he uh, went there, you, you, you have people who encountered Jesus, who heard the message of Jesus, who responded to the gospel, who believed in Jesus, but they were trying to sort out, what does this all mean? Uh, not just, do I believe in the cross, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, but how, does this, how are we meant to live together in the everyday of life? In the everyday, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, what are we meant to do? How are we meant to live? Because sometimes, you know, it's just so hard to think through every aspect until those things come up. And what, what's happening here in Corinth, as we say it was a mess, uh, is just all these issues are bubbling up uh, because people are complex and people come from different cultures and different assumptions and different things. So they're trying to work out what does it mean to live faithfully as a follower of Christ, uh, as, a, as a church, as a people, uh, in light of the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, that's where we pick up here uh, in the middle of chapter 7. Mark had preached, I think, back in November is the last time uh, in 1 Corinthians. But uh, chapter 7 deals largely with uh, marriage, with divorce, with sex, with singleness, with what is God's perspective? How are we, how are we to, to work through those and uh, Paul shifts a little bit here to, to more broad or more general category uh, that we want to look at. And this is essentially looking at uh, what is God's call to us in our circumstances, of, of where we find ourselves in the right here, the right now, um, of, of where I am today, of where God has placed me right now, uh, what is God's call to us. And so I want to look at three main ideas uh, in these verses. One is God's active presence in our circumstances. Uh, two is God's desire for us in our circumstances. And then third, God's perspective uh, in our circumstances. So God's active presence in our circumstances, God's desire for us in our circumstances, and God's perspective in our circumstances. Um, and circumstances really is just the place where we are now. It's vocation. It's where we're living. It's our our job, relationship status. He's going to go through multiple examples of these things and, and how they're meant to apply, how we're meant to, to think and live uh, for those who follow Christ. In verse 17, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which he has called him. Uh, the word calling here uh, is referring to the call of God, that, that, that God has called them. And it's used eight times. Paul uses eight times in verses 17 through 24. Um, and what God's doing here, what Paul's writing here, is reminding those in Corinth, and what God's reminding us today is God's active presence, his active work in our lives in the very place that we find ourselves. Uh, it's easy to kind of read sometimes, you know, as we read the Bible or read that, that we don't stop and think about what is God actively communicating, what's he saying about this, uh, but what God's saying is that he is actively present, that God has called us, that he has assigned us to where we are. And in spite, no matter what we've been through, uh, no matter what's happened in our lives, but in the right here and right now, uh, God is active and he has called us to the place that we, we, where he has us right now. And so um, one core tenet of Christianity is that God is not distant, right? That God's not removed that God's not unknowable, uh, that he's not uncaring, that he's not uninvolved. And these are all the doubts that can creep in in the midst of any circumstance when we're, we're going through something rough or maybe life's great. <laughs> 
It, but we don't even think about God. Uh, we don't think about him putting us where he, at, where, he, where he has or leading us to the place where he has. It's, it's, it's kind of this thought sometimes that, that God is just distant and removed. But what he's saying again and again back here is that he has called us, he has led us behind where we are, behind everything. As a follower of Christ, is God's call, God appointing us to where he has us. This is where um, kind of that historic work of God's calling is really drawn out a lot of times of this text, of voca- things like vocation, of the things that we do with our lives, the, things, the work that, that we do in this reality that God does call us to certain things, that, that it's not just haphazard or whatever, that God, uh, that we use our gifts, that God has led us to the place where he has and he's put us in the vocation that he has, but it's again this, that God is present. Now what this doesn't mean is that we fully understand God's work in bringing us to where we are. Um, if anyone does, let me know. Uh, no, it's true, because it is that. It's like, why am I here, where I'm, I'm at? Or if we look back at our life, we see the sorrow and the pain and the trials that we've all been through, and that some have just experienced tremendous loss. And we, um, it doesn't mean that we fully understand why things have happened the way that they've happened. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it, it uh, doesn't mean that we have an explanation for the suffering we've endured or gone through. It doesn't mean that we always know specifically what God wants us to do in each situation. Uh, God does not, uh, there's a secret will of God that we don't know. There's a revealed will of God in which he's told us what we're meant to do, but there's many things that I cannot look look up in the Bible and figure out exactly what God's will is. So it doesn't mean that we we know specifically what it looks like or what the future holds in regards to our life. But, but what he's saying again and again is he's with us. That God is with us. That Jesus has come to us. And that's, that's the thing. That, that God is not distant. The whole message of the gospel is that God the Father sent the Son to us. It's God's work communicating, revealing himself to us. And so those who think that God's unknowable, you know, what Christianity says, what the scriptures say is that He's not unknowable because he has revealed himself to us. He's made himself known uh, through the life of Christ, through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. He made made himself known uh, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament. He's made himself known through the creation, uh, but most fully through uh, Jesus. And so uh, it means that he's with us. And throughout the Bible, God calls these people who have no idea what's what's to come. If you just start reading, you know, even back in Genesis, and he calls Abraham, and he tells, you know, Abraham to go, and Abraham's just, where am I going, right? He has no clue where he's going. To leave everything, just to go out into the wild, to the wilderness, where, you know, every sense of security and safety at that time was, you know, if you can be around other people and kind of have this idea, and, and God just calls him out there to go, but, but God continually saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so this language of calling that Paul's applying here, here to us is just a reminder of that presence, that in spite of any circumstance we're going through, God says, I am your God, and you are my people. That in Christ, you are, I am, you are united to me. We, you are, we are united to that, and I've committed myself to you. And no matter if you can 
realize it or not, in the here and now, uh, I've called you. I've assigned you uh, to where you are. And this is meant to be a great encouragement, I think, um, just for that constant question of, what does God want for me? Or maybe you're in a vocation that you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, or if I'm supposed to be doing that. But what God's saying before anything is I've assigned you where you are right now, in the here and now. doesn't mean things won't change, but in the here and now, I've put you where i put you and I've led you there. Uh, so second, so we see God's active presence in our circumstances. Uh, we're going to see as well God's desire for us in our circumstances. So, so what does God want from us? What does God's call to us? What does God long for us in the midst of where we find ourselves? Verse 17 again, says, let each person lead the life the Lord assigned, uh, has assigned to him. In the NIV, uh, that's the ESV, in the NIV, the never incorrect version, uh, <laughs> is a seminary joke, is uh, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to him. So nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in the in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to him. Then verse 19, we'll deal with this a little more uh, later, but for, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Uh, verse 24, whatever condition each is called, there let him remain with God. Uh, what's the common theme through these verses? The common theme of what God's called for us, what God longs for us is this. Live for God where he's placed you. Right here, right now. Live for him. What's, what's overarching over where he may lead us, and he, he does lead us to different circumstances and different places, but, but overarching is in this present moment, am I glorifying God? Am I seeking to follow him? Am I seeking to obey him where he's put me? Um, we can't, there's so much about life that we cannot control, and we realize that more and more and more. We see it with illness. Uh, we see it with vocation. If, if perhaps you've lost your job, uh, we see it all throughout. That there's just so many circumstances we can't control. But the thing that God calls us that we can, in that sense, is to turn to him, to remind ourselves, to look to him, uh, and to seek to obey, to love God and neighbor wherever he's put us. We see this again and again throughout the history of the church, of people in crazy situations and crazy places uh, and things happening within their lives. But in the midst of it, they're able to glorify God wherever he's placed them. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, it's an organization you can sign up free, I think, for the newsletter online. But it's, it's talking about um, the, just persecution that's happening all around the world and in different places around the world and, and Christians that are facing real and active uh, pressure uh, to conform uh, wherever they are, to renounce Christ, uh, who are being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus. Um, but one thing so amazing about that and the stories that come from this is, is how many of those people have lost jobs, they've lost family, they've been imprisoned. Uh, they've, all these things have happened in their life. But what they do talk about, uh, and by the grace of God, is that God has been present with them that God has kept them in the midst of it, that God has, has been there. And not all of us are going to spend 14 years in a Romanian prison like the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. If you never uh, read that, it's a, a, 
almost life-changing book just hearing about what's, uh, what has happened, what people have been through. But not all of us would go through that, but we do have very real struggles, uh, very real things uh, in the midst of uh, life and kids and sickness uh, and death that we're all dealing with. And God's call here is to seek to obey him, to love God, love neighbor in the midst of it. And there's three examples here um, that Paul uses of, of these different circumstances. The first is kind of looking at the religious background. So you have the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. So you have the Jewish Christians here in Corinth, and then you have Gentiles, anyone who, who wasn't Jewish at the time. And circumcision, if you remember, was a sign, a symbol of God's faith, covenant faithfulness to Abraham, Genesis, back from Genesis uh, 12, but specifically 15 through 17, those chapters, uh, where God calls, God calls Abraham and he gives them this promise that he's going to give them a land, uh, that he's, that he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you see, circumcision is this promise of the people of God. But what Paul's saying here essentially is that Jesus has come in fulfillment of all those things, that, that the promises back to Abraham have been fulfilled. And so what you have here is that he says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What, what matters to God is our heart's devotion to obey his commandments. Uh, and you, you have people in the church here in Corinth, and we'll, it, we've talked about that a little bit, and then he gets more into, into it of just different factions. You have JV and varsity uh, teams uh, in Corinth. You have Apollos and you have Paul. Uh, and, and you have both of these here, but you have people always kind of vying for, uh, is there something else that I can add to my belief in Jesus that gives me some sort of standing above, uh, standing before God or standing before other people, right? Because it's so easy to look at how I live my life in accordance with this, or, you know, Jewish Christians would, would, could easily say, well, you know, we have had these commandments of God. We've ha- we have this tradition and this culture, and look at these Gentiles. They know nothing of this, you know? And so uh, against all the factions that come up, what, what Paul is saying is that we have been united to Christ as a one people, that he is calling people from every nation, t- tribe, and tongue uh, together here. And so some of us, you know, you may have come to know Jesus at an early age. You grew up in church. You know the answers. You've been, you did the Bible sword drills. I don't know if they still do that, but uh, the Bible sword drill where, you know, they give you a text or a passage, and whoever can look it up fast, as fast as they can, gets the prize uh, for that day. Uh, but some of you may have come at a later time. You, you didn't grow up like that. You, you had no clue who Jesus was or what he meant. Uh, and, and at some point in your life, uh, things that you didn't care about, you suddenly care about. It, it's, it's truly amazing about grace that uh, for so much of our lives, sometimes things of Jesus we could just have no care in the world about, but then suddenly something hits, and we suddenly care. We suddenly hear. Suddenly the, the person and the work and the resurrection of Jesus is beautiful to us. It's not just some story. He's not just some good teacher, but he is the one in which we have to have, uh, in order to have forgiveness of sins, uh, to change us, we need his grace. And, and one thing here, um, just as we look at these different conditions and factions that, that are here, uh, Jack Miller, uh, wrote, he, he said this, he says that grace always flows downhill. Uh, that God's grace, it always flows downhill. And so when people are trying, when, if we're adding anything else 
uh, to the gospel. If we're seeking based on our culture, based on our tradition, uh, based on what we, we, adding anything else that we think will bring us more standing before God or others, we're missing the whole point of grace. And the whole point of grace is that God has called a people from every culture, tribe, tongue, and nation, that this message is not for the gifted, it's not for the rich, uh, it's, this message is not uh, for those who have the, the most knowledge. It's not for um, those, it's exclusively for those who are married or are single. Uh, that this grace we have received, it always flows downhill and it comes to us for those uh, who God has humbled, who we, we see his grace, we see his mercy, and we have no standing. Uh, we have nothing to prop ourselves up against. We can't look at someone else another Christian and say, well, man, I'm with Apollos, uh, and he's just way better at speaking. Uh, Paul is putting people to sleep over there, and, you know, here, just every word is like, they say, a, a good preacher, they say, well, they can preach the paint off the walls, uh, that the, the paint literally comes off the walls if they're preaching, but, but you have some of that just happening here, but we see the, you know, circumcised, uncircumcised, these things don't matter. Uh, second is we see economic conditions here. Bond servant, slavery, verse 3, verse 21. Uh, Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. You were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. So the Greek word here is doulos. Uh, it's translated bonds, bond servant. Some translations uh, translated as slave. I uh, just want to make a brief note here. Uh, slavery um, or bondservant was different than chattel-based slavery, you know, in practice back in American history, um, it, it, which is chattel-based slavery is actually the actual owning of a human, uh, trying to own them uh, and their offspring as property, able to be bought and sold, forced to work without wages. Um, First Timothy calls... Uh, that is completely wicked. Uh, he, he used the term enslavers of, uh, to, to detest that. Uh, but there is a reality, too, of just the economic conditions that bond servants in this time or slaves in this time often could earn wages. They could often earn their freedom over time. Um, they're often entrusted with massive amounts of responsibility. It doesn't mean that there wasn't complete injustice that was happening, that people were being oppressed at the time, uh, that, that wrongdoing was, was uh, present uh, in this culture. And so Paul goes out of his way to say, if you can gain freedom, you should. But the central question Paul is addressing here, and I think for us is, uh, well, right here is, can I serve God faithfully as a bondservant? So what if my current circumstances place incredible restrictions on my life? Can I actually be a Christian, a faithful follower of Jesus in where God has me? And that, this is, I think, the, the core question here is, is, can I serve God faithfully as a bondservant? And God's saying, I have called people from all different places, called people in all different conditions. I've called people in all different um, struggles and trials. And he's saying, uh, he's saying here that, at the end of the day, a call is to, to serve him faithfully, that those things don't limit us, don't limit us from being able to serve God in, in, in struggling times. And so 
Uh, that's kind of the central question he gets at, is can we serve God faithfully there? See, God cares about our circumstances, but God longs for us, more than changing our circumstances, to love him and to be content where he's placed us. So it doesn't mean God doesn't lead us out of things or call us into a different vocation or, or change schools where our kids are or, or, or call us to move to, to a diff, different place. Uh, but the primary call of God, more than changing those circumstances, is to love him and to be content where he's placed us. Charles Spurgeon, some call him Chuck. Uh, no, they don't, I don't think. But Charles Spurgeon, <laughs> I don't know why I always think the Charles Schwab talked to Chuck. Um, Charles Spurgeon writes this uh, when reflecting on these verses. He says, Let your first care be to glorify God to, your utmost, to the utmost of your power where you are. Fill your present sphere to his praise. And if he needs you in another, he will show it to you. This evening, lay aside vexatious. I had to look that up. Uh, it's kind of anxiety-producing ambition and embrace peaceful content. But I love that. Let your first care, the first priority of, above all else is to glorify God to your utmost of your power where you are, in the right here and the right now. Finally, Paul shifts over here back to relationships, talking about marriage, singleness, uh, those who are widowed, um, and this is kind of the second section of, of this text, and he returns here talking about the, the relationship status here. Uh, and this was a core question because it's so much part of life, is singleness, of marriage, of divorce. Uh, it, it's the reality of life uh, within this world. And Paul here clearly has a preference, which he says. Uh, he's saying, I'm not commanding you something, but I, I'm giving you what I think, my preference. And he just, again, affirms uh, singleness is, is a legitimate uh, thing. It, it's, a way, it's a gift of God where God's commanded that there's a uniqueness about singleness uh, in which ways in which they have a freedom to serve God or, or certain cares that, aren't, aren't, that they don't have when they're married. But he's also not saying marriage is sinful either. Uh, you know, some here who may be single may say, I, you know, singleness is not a gift. Uh, that I have. And I think that's legitimate <laughs> in saying that. But I think there's others that we may say in the church, you know, singleness um, is just, I'm, I'm content not being married. I'm content not being, maybe depending on the circumstance of remarried or, or something like that, that I am content where God has me. I, I, it, it's not this, um, it's not something I view as will make me complete or something like that. But, but again, he's just calling this back that ultimately, if we seek ultimate fulfillment in the status of our relationship, we're, we're continuing to miss what God has for us in the here and now. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't long for those or that those desires aren't there, but he, he is saying um, relationship status does not offer us completeness or fullness. It's just incredibly easy for us, isn't it, to become distracted from the purposes of God. That we think about work, we get involved, you know, we've got young kids, we're, we're, we're whipping them around to different uh, activities and places. You're getting, you know, the moment that we put them to bed, we're just laying in bed so tired at, at certain stages on, on all those things, but we can easily forget the place God, the places God has 
put us in the everyday of life, uh, from our work and those hours there to, the, to our actual neighbors who live right by us, uh, to our neighborhoods around us, to the nations uh, of, of the people that we hear about that are, are going and telling others about Jesus. Uh, God longs for us to, to long uh, to love him, to love others uh, in the midst of where we are. And so we see again here God's, finally God's perspective in our circumstances. Uh, so his, his active presence in our circumstances, his desire for us in our circumstances to obey him, to follow him, to love him and neighbor, and then his perspective um, here. And so I think what this passage draws out is just us taking some time to, to think about what is my perspective of where God currently has me, right? And does God factor into that? Because it's incredibly easy for us to think through outside of God, outside of considering what, what he's done and that he's called me and assigned me, to live as though I'll be happy when or I'll be content when. And this is our entire, I think, culture, generation we have so much out there of, of I will be happy when, you will be fulfilled when. It's the whole point of advertising that this thing will make you complete when this happens. But it can be I'll be content when I'm married. I'll be happy when I'm financially free. I'll, I'll be content when I get this person out of my life. I'll be happy when I have more fulfilling work. I'll be content when we have kids. I'll be happy when we have more kids. I'll be content when the kids are out of the house. Uh, I'll be happy when I'm healed from this chronic illness. Um, I'll be happy or content when I'm serving God in full-time ministry and not lugging on the computer for eight hours a day. Uh, I'll be content when I'm free of anxiety and fear. All these things that weigh us down in the here and now, and we always think that if I could just get there, I'll be happy and content. What Paul is saying, what God is saying is, no, I've put you here right now to be content, to be happy in the grace of God in Christ. And we can be both sorrowful and always rejoicing, that we can both be filled uh, with, with fear. We can be feel, filled with anxiety and worry. We can be filled with angst over our job or our kids or, or those kind of things. But at the same time, we can be content in the grace of God, and we can seek to hear from God uh, in that. One of my favorite other quotes uh, by Spurgeon is just, he said this, he said, where you cannot trace God's hand, you can trust his heart. Uh, and so that in every day of life, in the, mo in, in the place where God has you right now, if you just, if you can't see what he's doing, we can trust his heart. And we see this most fully in the person of Jesus Jesus is the one who perfectly goes and fulfills this in his life, that, that he came as a servant sent by the Father, and what did he do? He was fully dependent on God, the Father, his whole life, that he went up early to pray, that he lived, that he brought restoration, healing, compassion, correction, and love to all, the, to, to all those that he was around. But at the same time, he was hated and despised. He lived such a hard life, but he took up the cross in the Garden of Eden the night before his betraying, he's praying to his father that the cup, uh, this cup, the cross, would pass from him. But he knows that he's faithfully going to the cross, no matter the circumstance that he was in. See his full dependence on God the Father, his full dependence, and he lived this way for us uh, to model to model what we're meant to do in the midst of that. 
If you also think he spent 30 years, we know so little about his first 30 years, right? He was a carpenter. He wasn't on a 30 under 30 list. He wasn't on a 40 under 40 list. He was faithfully serving the Father in what seems like obscurity because we just, we don't know about that. We, we, we see those three years leading up to the cross, but there's so much of his life that we don't see. We see he was faithful in the midst of that. And if you are there, you just don't feel seen. No one knows what you're doing. You just feel alone. Again, God's promise is he's with us. And so the, the real question for us is, is, do we take God's perspective, God's interpretation of where we are? Or am I just kind of completely neglecting that and just my mind is going crazy with what I need to do or where I am at or where I should be or where God should have me and where he should have brought me and I'm not there and I would be there and if I could just be there, I'd be more fully devoted to him. <laughs> All these things that hit our minds. And God says, no, that peaceful content comes from knowing Christ and knowing he has assigned us where we are, that we are, as he has sent the son, he sends us out. And he has sent you to your neighborhood, to your apartment building, to the schools you find yourself in, uh, to the workplace where you are. He sends us out as ambassadors of him and his grace that we might live uh, for him. Let's pray. Father, we